Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness toward us. We do lift Kathy up before you and pray, Lord God, that um, we know nothing's impossible with God and we know that you're at work. We can see it. And so we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would continue, Lord, day by day, morning by morning, evening by evening, from glory to glory, and just continue to carry her on, Lord, in progress, Lord. And we pray, God, that she would stand in this church on her own two feet and give the testimony of what you've done. Lord God, and we stand and we will continue to labor in prayer, Lord, with her and in the throne room of God, Lord, until you've done your work in her. So we love you, we glorify you and praise you. Lord, we give this morning to you. Every day is yours, but we've gathered together today, especially, Lord, to worship and have fellowship together um, and to spend time in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would reward every single child of God who came to church this morning. Lord, every person who came hungry to receive, Lord, the truth, I pray you would feed them. And Lord God, I pray that you also would watch over the seed of your word to see to it that it bears fruit and that it makes us uh, more into the image of Christ. Be glorified, Lord, in us, in your people, and through us in this world, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start a new series today on stewardship. And um, stewardship typically... Um, is approached, you, when you hear a message on stewardship or, or think of it, I think most people associate it with money. And we will talk about money. Money is one piece of it. Um, we'll talk about money. We'll talk about possessions separate from money, how we you know, handle or manage the things that God has given us. But we're going to talk about multiple aspects of stewardship. And I think it's going to be really good for us as a church just, just to take a look at what has God done in us you know, how, how, what has he called us to, and what are we doing with what we have? I think it's a really important thing just to take stock of from time to time. Um, so this first message today is our introductory message, just kind of on what is stewardship, but essentially it's managing the master's house. And you and I belong to the father. We're in the father's house, and he's given us many things. Paul talked about being a steward of, he said, he said the, a steward of the grace of God. He said, the grace of God, which came to me, did not prove vain. I took that, he said, I took the grace that I received, and I made sure that it was not wasted. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God working with me. So Paul was a steward of the grace of God. You and I have gifts, gifts from the Holy Spirit, gifts that manifest in us and through our personalities and, and all kind of function, and those gifts have to be stewarded. And if you stop and think about it, we're stewards of quite a lot. And guess what? Your Father in Heaven is generous. He's given us many things. And those things, uh, for us to be um, faithful to God, we have to take good care of. And so stewardship really does center around our character. God is gonna wa- wants to work a kind of character in us, the character of Christ Jesus, um, who is faithful as a steward over all God's house. And <clears throat> so we're going we're gonna to look at these things in detail But I want to just outline today, really, what is stewardship and the heart behind it. I want to show you a few verses, first of all, um, that deal with God. Anyway, you'll see. Let's look at it. Psalm 24.1. Psalm 24.1 is maybe a well-known verse. It says, The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the the world and those who dwell in it. The, The King James Version says, I think, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. In other words, everything that's in the earth belongs to the Lord. 
and all those who dwell in it, every person who dwells in it. In Haggai, verse, chapter 2, verse 8, God says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. So God owns everything in the whole world and all the people that are in it. And all the silver and all the gold are God's. Are you starting to get the picture a little bit, right? Psalm 50, verse 10. Uh, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, God says. So, I mean, this picture is kind of coming together. God said, generally, it's all mine. And let me get a little more specific. Every specific little, every other thing is mine. And God said in Ezekiel 18, 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. And just a little quick reminder, the soul who sins will die. So even though all souls belong to God, the soul that sins against God and will not repent will also die. And so God is, he is the owner of everything. He owns everything there is, there's no exceptions. But now we're going to look at the, where, you know, the contrast here at the same time. He generously acknowledges our human ownership. So God wouldn't have to acknowledge our ownership. You guys realize that. He, he could just say, everything's mine, and I don't want to hear any more quibbling among you guys down there. But instead, he gives us certain things. He entrusts things to us. That's what we're talking about in this series. So 1 Timothy uh, 6.17, just a couple examples. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. So God says there are people who are rich in this present world. They have been entrusted with a lot. But don't fix your hope on those riches, he says, but keep your hope fixed on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So do you see that? So God could just say, everything's mine, take good care of it, and one day you're going to answer for how you care for it. And he wouldn't be wrong to do that. But God says, you know what, I'm going to give you these things, and while you're taking care of them, I also want you to enjoy them. Isn't that nice of God? I mean, just barely... I don't think God gets a very fair shake sometimes in, in, the, in the culture. You know what I mean? Who is this mean God and all of his demands? That's the way people treat God who don't know him. But people who take time to get to know God realize he's like a loving, generous, benevolent father. And if he did not deny that, if he didn't fail to give his own son for you in redemption, for our redemption, how would he ever refuse to give us the other things that are necessary? That's what the Bible says in in a paraphrase. So we have a loving, generous, benevolent Father who gives us all things to enjoy. He says, but when I give you those things, don't fix your hope on it. I think it's, it's either in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. He says, don't fix your hope on riches because as soon as you do that, what's the next thing that happens? It sprouts wings and it flies away. And he's like, you know, well, if your hope had been fixed there, that would be pretty frustrating, would it not? But if your hope was on God, then, you're, then you can say, well, in him there is still hope, even if the riches have flown away. And so he, we have these things set before us in the scriptures. And another example of God recognizing possession, Genesis 17 he says, I'll give to you. God says, I'll give it. Don't, miss, don't forget where it comes from, but I'll give to you. And to your descendants after you, the land of your sojournings, your wanderings, the place you're traveling around in, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And then what does he tack on the end there? He says, and I'll be their God. 
So this is what God says. I'll give you this land. It'll be yours to possess. And when you've possessed this good land and you're all in there, and what did the other verse say? Giving you all things for your enjoyment. And you're eating from trees you didn't plant and gardens you didn't plant and vineyards you didn't plant, living in houses you didn't build. And you're enjoying all the blessings of the promised land. He said, here's what I want in return. I want to be your God. I want you to worship and honor. Don't forget where it all came from and return honor and blessing to me. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, I skipped this, but uh, so this whole thing of ownership um, appears on its face to be a conflict, and people could say, is everything we have God's, or is it ours? And like so many truths that we try to comprehend that appear to be contradictory, the answer to both questions is yes. Is it God's, or is it ours? Yes. It's important And essential, in fact, that you recognize that it's God's. Because this is where our whole conversation about stewardship, it it hinges on this one thing. It is the Lord's. You know? And so, have you ever, and I know many of you have said these kind of things, and many of you have heard other people say it, but you walk into somebody's house and they say, something happens, they're filing an insurance claim, well, we had this flood or this problem happened with the house, and, and they're like, well, we're not worried about it, it's the Lord's house. It's the Lord's house first. We're going to get these things taken care of, but it's the Lord's house. And, you know, so people, have, people who understand this, they're saying, yeah, it's mine, and I'm responsible for what has to happen next, but it's God's house. He gave it to me. And so having the right attitude toward possessions really begins with this one thing. It's all from him. And idolatry simply cuts that part of it out. Anything that I don't acknowledge God in is something that has the, r- the rapid potential to become an idol. Because if I begin to say to myself, this is a, so also kind of a paraphrase from the scripture, my own hand got these things for me. I got this for me. And this is mine. That's the beginning of idolatry. So, but then, you have to, sometimes you have to be honest though. You might have something at your house that your own hand did get for you. God said no. You know, how, you know how you knew God said no? Your wife said no. She said, don't you do it. And you said, I'm doing it anyway. You know, you need to act in agreement in marriage. Can, I, can we say that? Can we agree on that? And husbands, it runs the other way too, husbands and wives. Um, need to be in agreement. But, but sometimes there's no confirmation anywhere else. It's just that your heart wants it. You've got the money to do it, so you do it. And those, those are the things that come into your life that we might call um, Ishmael. Have you ever heard that name before in the Bible, Ishmael? Ishmael was when, was when Abraham got tired of waiting for God to give what he'd promised. And so he said, by my own hand, I'll get this thing. And his wife was involved. She was in agreement. In fact, it was her idea. And they had this baby out you know, with, his, with her servant, And he said, well, this is how God will provide. But God had never, ever said he was going to do it that way. And so Ishmael was the child of the flesh, not the child of the promise. And any time that we provide something for ourselves that God is not providing, it is a child of the flesh. And the blessing of God can never come through it. That thing will be a burden to you every day that you possess it. And then one day you'll sell it because you finally will wake up and say, what did I do? How did I ever get myself into this mess? 
And so I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. You don't want anything in your life that is not from God. Nothing. You don't even want to have a little thing in your life that's not from God. You don't want to be burning up your money, buying little obnoxious little things without ever thinking or asking God. God, you want to involve him in every aspect of your life. And so you, he, was, he just wants to know that we care, that we care to know. Father, what's your will? What do you, what do you, what do you want to do? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And so we want to really just have our hearts oriented toward the understanding that everything comes from God. But once you know it's from God, it's also important that you take possession of it. This is the second part. This is why I say it feels a little bit contradictory because how do I hold these two things in tension? Well, welcome to Christianity. Christianity is a constant holding of difficult things in tension. Have you found that to be true? Where you're going, yeah, it's this and this. Well, how it can't be both? Well, sure it can. It has to be both. And if you throw out the one and lose, if you lose either side, you're out of balance. And so, I mean, in Ecclesiastes, it says, you know, hold, taking hold of the one thing without letting go of the other. And it says, and the righteous man will come forth with both. And that's kind of a picture of what it's like to hold tensions, but Christianity is full of that. So we hold this tension. So once you know it's from God, then you settle it in your heart and say, but he gave it to me. But why did he give it to me? Well, he gave it to me to manage faithfully. And that's what stewardship is fundamentally. So the conflict is resolved with one revelation. We're not owners, but we are servants and stewards. Servants in his house and stewards of his possessions. And this one truth with two sides, not two truths, not two separate things. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. You are a servant and you are a steward. And stewards of the mysteries of God, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Is that, a, is that in itself a mystery? Do you find that phrase a little bit mystical? Like mysterious, I mean? Do you find that, what does it mean to be a steward of the mysteries of God? I'm not asking for an answer, I'm just letting you guys think for a minute. But I, what I believe it's talking about is the mystery of the gospel. That the Bible talks about how these things were hidden, things that even angels wanted to look into. But now they have been revealed to us upon whom the ends of the ages have come, the revelation that God's son was Jesus, and Jesus came as the redeemer, and this was the fulfillment and the answer to all the questions and mysteries. But we're stewards of the gospel. You being born again is not so you can go to heaven only. It is for that. But it's not only for that. You've been entrusted with the message that can help others get to heaven. And not just get to heaven, but have eternal life right now. The Bible teaches that so clearly. It says Note that you may know that you have eternal life. And having eternal life right now, that changes your whole perspective on life. I can die right now and I'm with God. My life is eternal the moment I believe. And I don't, well, your soul is eternal always, but, you're, but, the, but there's eternal death also. Eternal death and eternal life. And in Christ, we have eternal life. And you're a steward of that mystery. You're a steward of the gospel. And this is where it gets into it. So salvation belongs to the Lord, right? So there's the possession. But then what did he give to us? Salvation belongs to us now too. I've been saved. 
So what am I going to do with the salvation that I've received? Well, I don't just own it. I steward it. So I, I cultivate it, right? Working out your salvation. Doesn't the Bible say that? With fear and trembling. So that's how you work it out. It's not just work it out, meaning do whatever you want. Work it out with fear and trembling, which means in the presence of God, being very careful about how you work it out. So we steward that, and then you manage it on the personal level, but then also you manage it in, in the ways that you share it with other people. Because, this, because the gospel is a gift that can be given. And you know, you can give the gospel away and still have the gospel. You know what it means? Like you can't, yeah, okay, I gave it away once, it's gone now. I've run fresh out of the gospel. It doesn't have a limit to it. You can give it away 10 times a day every day and you'll never run out because it comes from God and it's, an, it's a message of eternal salvation for all who can hear. So we're stewards, we're servants and we're stewards of these things. And he goes on and says, in this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found, what's that word? Trustworthy. So God is looking for managers, but he has a requirement of all his managers, that every manager be found trustworthy, that you'll handle the things that he gives you faithfully. And this is the law of stewardship. It's not that that it's trustworthiness. It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy, and especially in eternal things. And I say especially, but we're going to talk about that. Because it's, it's important that everything we have is stewarded well. So where do we go with this information? We definitely have possessions and responsibilities. Can we acknowledge that? Right? Your house or your, your car, your things that you have, whatever, your, your earthly possessions are God's and they're yours. Your eternal salvation, the gifts that God's given you, all these other things are God's and they're yours. And so you definitely have possessions and responsibilities, and God has entrusted those to us for faithful management. And what does he get out of it? I mentioned this earlier. He simply wants to be our God, the one that we love and honor in the midst of our possessions. And that's the same thing that he did with Israel. He said, go, go, take the whole land, and here's what I want in return. Just love and honor me in the midst of your possession. And so that's what God is saying to you. You and I have things. It's like, don't forget me. Don't look at your possessions and say, this is the thing I'm going to live for. Look at your possessions and say, God is worth living for. Look how good he's been to me. And so that's what God is calling us into. And that's the way that we, we, we save our own hearts from, from idolatry. It's the way we keep our lives oriented toward worship, as opposed to the worship of God instead of the worship of things. It's one of the ways we maintain an eternal mindset. Because the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches, does it not? Meaning, if you have money and focus on money, then you become deceived toward the value of eternal things. You lose sight of it. And everybody can fall prey to this. And so, it's so important that we understand this whole relationship with God and possessions and every other thing that we're stewards more than we are owners. And this has been true from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God says, make man and put him in charge of everything on earth. 
And we already established earlier that the earth belongs to the Lord, right? And everything in it. So he's the only one who can give, give it to someone else to manage. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And then in Genesis 2, verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth. No plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth. And, it says, there was no man to cultivate the ground. So God had, the, the space was cleared. The, gardening, the garden space was cleared. But no plants had come up, and he, and he wasn't going to have the plants come up because there was nobody to tend to the plants. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. That was built-in sprinklers from right from the beginning. Right? Too bad, right? We've lost that. We've lost that. Um, but that was special. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east. So God's the first gardener. Anybody, if you're gardeners, just remember, God was the first gardener. It says he planted it. Doesn't it say that? I think that's kind of cool. In Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. And in Genesis 2.15, he tells us why. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. So think about that. That's, there's a lot going on there in terms of stewardship. Look at everything that this encompasses. Adam and Eve were placed as stewards over the garden of God, the garden that God planted to care for it, over the earth to fill and subdue it, over the creatures to rule over them. They were stewards of one another. They needed to care for each other in that relationship. And they were also stewards of just one law from God to keep, which we didn't cover in that, but he, he told them, don't eat from this one tree. That's the one rule. So steward that. So take care of the one rule that I've given you. You know, teach it to one another, talk about it, teach it to your children. Steward this one thing. So right from the outset, God was very interested in mankind being entrusted with things and taught to be faithful with those things. With God as their God and with them as his people, they simply needed to walk humbly with God and manage these trusts. That was what life was for Adam and Eve. Walk with God, manage what he's given you. Walk with God, manage what he's given you. A simple life, doesn't it sound like? And what messed it up? Sin, right? Deception. Deception and sin. Did God really say, well, you will surely not die, and now, they're going, now, they're, now the stewardship of God's law is breaking down. So steward, the breakdown of stewardship is ultimately what led to sin, in that sense, in that they didn't take the law seriously. They God had given them. Didn't work, didn't work it out, didn't walk it out. And so they fell into deception. And this was what life was, you know. And how many of you know, how many of you have memorized Micah 6.8? Will you want to say it? Nice and loud? No. <laughs> okay. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. When it all gets stripped away, what's left? To love mercy, to act justly, to walk humbly with your God. This is the same word that would have served Adam and Eve really well. They walked with God in the cool of the day. And still everything broke down because they didn't take seriously what he had said. But for us today, we're in a covenant of grace through Christ Jesus. We're God's children by faith and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And we too must be found faithful. So sometimes there's an attitude in the church because we're in a covenant of grace that obedience is not as important. Have you ever gotten that impression? It's like, well, back then they had to keep all these rules, but now it's like, we're under grace. It didn't really matter. You know, it's like, well, hold on a second. I'm kind of with you, kind of not. The difference is we're not trying to earn anything from God anymore. But it does, is it important what kind of actions we take? Is it important that we obey God? Is it important that if he gives us something as a trust that we do a good job taking care of it? Oh yeah, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And we've been entrusted with the mysteries that angels wanted to look into. And he gave it to us and was like, it would have been a better idea to just let the angels hold on to that. You know, that's, I mean, just humanly speaking, what would we do? But it's still, he says, no, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to make you a new creature. I'm going to give you the mysteries and you're going to take care of those things. And so we need to be found faithful. It is no less significant for us today that we be found faithful. And so I'm going to show you a mystery that's woven into this whole thing. Stewardship of spiritual things is very important, but material stewardship is no less significant. I'm going to show you why I'm saying that. It's actually the key that opens spiritual doors and releases spiritual and material blessing. And listen, I'm going to say this just because this is my gospel and grace caveat for this teaching. You are not earning anything from God. I'll do such a good job, then God will owe me something. You're not earning anything from God. He gives you things because he's good and he's generous. But you are, because of the gift of grace, stewarding well what God has given you. But when you do a good job, he rewards that work. You didn't earn it, but you, how do you, this is why it's so, it's so touchy. Here's how I'll say it. We, <laughs> thanks, I know I'm really struggling. That's the trouble right now. No, it's like, it's hard. these are hard things to say. Christians are concerned about disqualification, not qualification. Qualification was settled at the cross. You can never get qualified by good deeds. So that's already been settled at the cross. But sin will disqualify you from what was bought at the cross. So you can lose the benefit of the blessing. Paul said, he said, I'm going to run the race and I'm going to deny myself. And I, he said, I'm going to beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I will not be what? Disqualified from the prize. He, he, he didn't say, I'm going to beat my body, make it my slave and run this race so I can get qualified for the prize. He knew that qualification was settled at the cross. Is that not true? But he was concerned about his stewardship of what God had given him. And he said, if I don't steward it well, the reward will not be there. And that's something that we have to hold in tension all the time. But we're under a covenant of grace. 
There's so much forgiveness. You do a bad job stewarding something, something falls apart. Guess what? You have a mode of operation they didn't have in the Old Covenant. You can go to God in repentance in an instant. Ask forgiveness, receive forgiveness, and start with a literally clean slate. It may take some time to recover what happened from bad stewardship. That's just a fact. But still, God forgives us, and he gives us another chance, and we can move forward. Um, but good stewardship, he's, he says, this is what I want you to do. Be faithful with this. You're faithful with it, and he rewards that. And you have to know that going in, because think about even the fundamentals of faith. You must believe first that God exists, and next that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there is a reward aspect to our faith that we need to be concerned about. But you're not earning it through, through works in that sense. Is that clear enough? Clear as mud, as they say. <laughs> clear enough. It's a tension we have to walk in. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 16. He said, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. So this is why I said earlier, stewardship is about character. If you got somebody, you give them a little something, and they're taking really good care of that little thing, guess what he says? You can put that person in charge of a bigger thing, and you know what they'll do? The very same thing. They'll take good care of something, something bigger. Because you'll sometimes hear people, and I'm, this is, I've had these own thoughts in my head, and I was a younger man and all this, but thinking like, well, this car, I've got's a real piece of junk, so I'm not going to bother washing it or vacuuming it out, because I'm going to get rid of this junker someday anyways and get a better car. God, please send me a better car. And God's like, change the oil, vacuum it, wash it. And even if it's like putting lipstick on a pig, it'll look better than it does right now. <laughs> Steward the little thing. You see how our, we, our, our thinking can be very backwards? I'm not going to take care of this because it doesn't matter. But one day I'll have the really nice one and then I'll take care of it. God won't give it to you. You'll have to get it for yourself. And you don't want anything in your life that God didn't give you. So you've got to take his road in all these things. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing, Jesus went on to say, is unrighteous also in much. If you're not taking care of that clunker car you got right now, you're not going to take care of the nice car. And so it's just a fact because it's about character. It hasn't been worked into your character to take care of things and to value them as from God. And sometimes it's hard to look at something like an unreliable car and say, look what the Lord sent. What a blessing. You may not feel that, but you know what you can do? You can say, thank you, Lord. It's the best I have, and I'll do the best I can with what I have. And God will honor that. Do you know? Glory to glory. That's, what the, that's the phrase the Bible uses in terms of our progress in sanctification. As you grow in faith, glory to glory to glory. It's like we're growing, we're changing. Well, that's the same way your life is meant to be. The path of the just is as the shining of the light or the rising of the sun. Shining ever brighter until fullness of day. That's what your life is supposed to be in him. In stewardship, you'll watch that track. This year was better than last. Next year is better than the year prior. And I'm not saying there's not down years and problems and things that go wrong because time and chance happen to all. That's in Ecclesiastes. But stewardship, you'll, you'll be in a better shape than somebody else, even in a time of crisis, if you're a good steward. It's making sense. So this is what it is to be a steward. God owns it. He gave it to me. I take care of it. Listen to what Jesus went on to say. Verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, he's talking about ordinary old cash and possessions. 
That's what he's talking about. If you've not been righteous in the use of unrighteous wealth, he's just saying there's nothing holy about the money. It's how you use it. That's why people are so careful not to say, well, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. And it's not money, right? It's the love of money. Money is neutral in that sense. It's how you use it that affects it, how you view it. And so he says, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust, listen to these words, the true riches to you? So material stewardship, spiritual blessing. You see that? And to us, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Why does God care whether or not I wash my car? Because he's training a character. Your whole, he's interested in your whole life. And he knows that you won't take care of spiritual things that are of great value if you don't take care of things that you consider inconsequential in life. But if he can get you to take care of the little thing that you're not even that thankful for, because it's a struggle for you, but he's got you trained to take care of it, he can entrust you with spiritual truths. And some of them will be small, but they'll be revolutionary in your heart. And then he can entrust you with a bigger one, and, a bigger, and more light, more revelation, more understanding. And as you're faithful with those things, you share it with others. You apply it, and you work it out. He can trust you with another one. You share it, you apply it, you work it out. He can entrust you with another one. This one maybe is bigger. And this is the way that God works in us, but he's looking at all of our life and not just this isolated thing. And so you and I, we don't want to throw it out and say, well, it doesn't matter if everything else in my life is crumbling because you know what I'm doing? I'm faithfully reading the Bible and praying. It's like, well, that's good. But God has a lot to say to you while you're reading the Bible and praying. He has a lot to lead you and a lot of truth he wants to lead you into. And he's going to point you back to some very unspiritual things and say, get these things in order. Get your life in order. Bring it all together and watch and see how it enriches your Bible study and your praying. Doesn't that seem crazy? I mean, are you guys with me on this? It doesn't seem like it should be, but that's what Jesus said. And if you have not been faithful, he said, in the use of that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? People are like, well, this is just a rental house. Who cares about it? I'm going to buy a house soon anyways. Like Jesus said, take care of the other man's house, and I'll help you get your own. But if you don't take care of the house you're renting, who's, who's going to give you your own? He's saying, not God. Not God. He's not going to open that door. Come back and be faithful with what you have, even if it belongs to somebody else. Well, the landlord is nasty and mean, and he doesn't fix anything. You're the one who signed the rental contract with this guy. Fulfill your obligations and be faithful. Don't do it for him. Do it for the Lord. Do it for the Lord. And when you do it for him, he'll reward you. And this is stewardship. It's stewardship. And it, it's transformational when it starts to be applied to every area of life. So let me ask you this. Do you have a lot? Do you have a little? Whatever you have, it's from God. And how you manage it will determine how well you know his blessings on earth. It's just, it's a fact of life. And many people, I think, have struggled and said, you know, why, why is it that I can't seem to make progress in life, maybe financially, or I can't make progress spiritually, or I can't make progress in these things? A lot of progress is tied directly to stewardship. We're stuck in a slump because we haven't let God teach us how to take good care of the little that we have. 
And maybe you are somebody who's been saying those things to yourself. It's like, well, I only have a little understanding of this, and I only have a little money, or I only have a little this and a little that. And it's like, so you don't, you don't take seriously what you do have. And so what I want to encourage us in is just to figure out where are we? Where are we in life? Take stock. And we'll do this week by week. We'll go through different things. And just to take stock of where we are, and then to look at it and say, God, what does it look like for me to be a faithful manager with what you've given me? And then I really believe that it unlocks, it unlocks blessings. Things God, they're in his hand. He wants to give them. They were purchased at the cross. It's not about earning it. It's already been bought for you. And the only thing standing in the way is good management. He just needs to see faithfulness here. And then God says, you've been faithful with that. And the other blessing is in my hand. The next blessing is in my hand. And I'm going to release this into your life because I see that you're being faithful with a little. So we're going to talk about a lot of things, being stewards of your testimony, mysteries of God, of wealth, the gifts of God, the grace of God. We're going to talk about time, being stewards of time. And even being stewards of, as the scripture says, the times that men should live and the boundaries of their habitation. Those things are foreordained by God. Do you think about the fact that you live in your neighborhood, in your house, in the year 2023 because God foreordained it? So that means there's a stewardship there. What do I do with right where I am right now? Because, and, you know, so don't take it for granted. It's not coincidental. If you've been following him all along the way, guess what? You're probably pretty close or right into the center of his will. And so that being the case, there's a stewardship there, things to consider about how we regard our neighbors and what kind of things we, we do in terms of being stewards of the mysteries of God. And so a lot to consider. Agreed? Sounds like a lot to me. Well, Zach's going to play, and we're going to sing. And um, you know, I I want to just encourage you. I know some of this is um, more on the practical side. It may seem, um, but I want to just remind you. And the prayer prayer team, you guys can come on up. I just want to remind you that um, if you need if you need help with anything, if there's a struggle in your life right now, that's what the prayer team is for. Sometimes we give you guys, kind of, we'll direct you and say like, well, this is what the message about is about. If, you, if you're that person, then, you know, then come on up for prayer. But I just want you to know it's not limited to that. If you've got something going on in your life that you just can't get through, you can't break through, you're struggling, having a hard time, something major has happened and you just need prayer, you need comfort from God, you know, whatever it is, then come on up and, and ask for prayer. The prayer team wants to, wants to they're here for that purpose. They're here to help you um, break through with God. And sometimes we're in a place where it's just a simple matter of, I'm, I want to believe, but I just can't. You know, and I mean, I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you hadn't been there before, you will at some point. Be at a place where you're like, I, I think, I believe I know what God wants, but I just can't believe. I'm just really discouraged about this. And in those moments, somebody else can step in and in faith they can lift up your arms for you. Do you remember Aaron and her, how they held up Moses' arms? I really think that's a picture of intercession because you got the battle in the valley and you got, you got Moses on the hill and he's the man of God or whatever in there. And, he, and, and, and it's like every time he lifts up his staff, they start to win. And every time he gets tired and his hands come down, he, he, they start to lose. People are literally dying in the valley because his hands are coming down. And nobody would look at that from a human standpoint and say, we need to get the archers on that dude up there with the stick. 
If, if they, but if they understood how the spiritual realm works, they would. And that's what prayer is. That's what intercession is. That's where the battle is won. The battle's won up there on the hill. In the, but the, you're, you, know, you may be in the fight. And so, but sometimes, even in, in intercession, it, the, the, what you're trying to do, it gets heavy. The load of prayer and all this gets heavy. And other people have to come along and hold up your arms just so that you can keep on going, so that you can, so that you can continue because the victory is on the other side. You gotta, but you've got to keep your hands up. You've got to stay engaged in the fight until it's won. So if you need somebody to hold up your arms, there is nothing to be ashamed of in that. That's a part of life. That's what community is for. Why come get involved in a church if you're going to be a lone wolf and do it all yourself? Community is about vulnerability. It's like, yeah, here's the truth. I'm struggling. I need help. Will somebody pray with me? And that's what this time is for. Lord God, I commit to you the hearts of your people. Prepare us, Lord, to walk through this on stewardship together. I pray, pray, Lord God, that people who have been looking for answers would find them. People who have been struggling with certain things, not sure, wanting to go to the next place in life and with you and just not sure what's standing in the way. I pray you would just open their eyes to see whatever they need to see, to ears to hear whatever they need to hear. All of us, Lord. And Lord God, I pray that if there's brokenness, broken people, we not be ashamed of that, but that we would, Lord, just lay, lean into the community of faith that you've gathered here and that we would strengthen one another, Lord, so that no one becomes embittered, so that no one becomes discouraged, Lord, while we wait for the coming day when you'll return and take us home. Be glorified, Lord, in and through the church. In Jesus' name, amen.